Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2. We do have a number of members sick, if you are mindful of them, um, hopefully you're praying for them. There are three that come to mind right away, uh, John Sheets, Mary Westerfield, Patty Kinslow. I Forgive me, those of you that I didn't mention your name. I cannot remember all the names, but I do know we have a number of people that are not feeling well. All right, Revelation chapter 2, Revelation 2, if you are able to stand, if you're able, hey Paul, did we get a, get a chair for you? Okay, good. If you are able to stand, let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. So, <clears throat> Sunday night a few weeks ago, uh, we started a series in Revel- Revelation, but I didn't preach last Sunday night, so I decided, well, I'm going to go ahead and get it out in the morning, and that's what I'm doing again today because the teens are preaching uh, this evening, but this we'll take this into the Sunday night, Lord willing, next week, and we'll just go church by church. There's some very practical, very practical teaching here for us anyways, and it's, I'm excited about it. Verse 8, the Bible says, and unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works, and tribulation, and poverty, but thou art rich. I want to pause and say, that is the absolute opposite of the church of Laodicea. The church of Laodicea thought they were rich, wealthy, everything they needed. And Jesus told them, you are poor, naked. So the complete contrast here. Laodicea was comfortable. The church of Smyrna has to go through some discomfort. I read on here. Let me read verse 9 again. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them that which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things. That's the title. Fear none of those things. That's the title. Which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Let's go ahead and pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we have the whole counsel of your word. We are privileged, blessed beyond measure to be able to study it and see how it applies, to learn about future events as well. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would minister to hearts this morning. I pray, Father, that everybody here would feel as though the message is directed toward them. May they be drawn close to you through this. May you be glorified. May our faith be strengthened. And I pray, Lord, it would uh, bring forth the furtherance of the gospel into different people's lives as we uh, witness. Bless this time. Bless our special music now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. That is a blessing. All right, well, here we are, Second Church. So let me just remind you a few things and also preface this. 
Uh, if you will bear with me and allow me to be a teacher for a moment, it might break out into preaching, but I feel like if I can go into this with teacher mode, it'll be easier for me, and that'll lower the expectations, and then if we get into preacher mode, that's just extra. Okay, there's a difference. Preacher mode can get a little more exciting, bounces around, things like that. Teacher mode, I really want you to get what we have to cover, and there's the primary objective is to instill you with courage. Courage in the faith. That's the primary objective. <clears throat> now, we need to understand the context and, and all of that. The Apostle John gets a meeting from the Lord Jesus Christ while he's on the island of Patmos. And this particular meeting involves... Uh, delivering or dictating what the Lord Jesus says to seven different churches. I personally believe all seven churches got all seven letters, but they each one had one specifically given to them. Did you hear me? I think the church of Smyrna also got the church of Ephesus letter, but when it came to Smyrna, they understood this is for us specifically. I don't need to, we don't need to argue about that. That's just an opinion. <clears throat> the reason it's my opinion is because that's the way we got it. Hello? Second, they were literal churches. There were seven literal churches in Asia. I believe most of these churches were started through the Apostle Paul's ministry when he went through Asia and preached the gospel. Last week we talked about Ephesus, and Ephesus is mentioned in the book of Acts. There's a whole chapter, Acts chapter 19, is given to the church of Ephesus. Great things took place there, mighty church. But Smyrna, Smyrna was 70 miles north of Ephesus. And Smyrna was a church that also had the fire of God in it. And now the distinction here, obviously between the two churches, Smyrna is a suffering church. It's a suffering church. And you may have read, noticed that in the reading here. It's also significant that the name Smyrna, it comes, it, it comes from the word myrrh. Now, do you remember the three gifts that were brought to the baby Jesus? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, okay? <coughs> myrrh was a very uh, a bitter-tasting herb, but when it was ground up, if it was, when it was ground up, it had a sweet smell, very sweet smell, but it was a bitter herb when it comes to the taste, okay? And so myrrh has the, it's the closest word in the Bible to my name, Merv. I don't know if that means anything, but anyways. So, uh, you know, I, I wasn't uh, blessed with a handle like John, you know, there's too many of them, so anyways. So Smyrna, uh, the name fits what's going on there they are an assembly of believers who are some of them have already suffered and some of them are going to suffer they're they're going to go through some suffering I also believe this is my opinion I'm not going to argue with anybody about it I believe these seven letters to these seven churches represent seven different church ages and no doubt there was persecution in the early church but let me tell you something, uh, after the apostle, apostles 
died off, that second generation, third and fourth generation, there was severe, severe persecution amongst the church. Uh, There were some ten different Roman emperors who we could accumulate nearly a million people that claimed to be Christians were executed for the faith under, under that persecution. So it does kind of fit if you look at it that way. <clears throat> now, to read it again. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna. I believe that angel is an actual minister. Uh, uh, write, these things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. Now the Lord Jesus reveals himself distinctively different to each of these churches. Now if you're a church that's suffering, or maybe you're somebody who's getting ready to be martyred, that should be reassuring that the Lord Jesus says, just want you to know, I'm not only aware of what you're going through, but I am the first and the last, and I'm he that was dead and is alive. Death has no bearing on me or my people. That should be encouraging. Now, here's something that a lot of Christians don't like to talk about, but it is a biblical reality amongst true Christianity. Do you realize there's authentic Christianity and there is artificial? How many of you realize that? There is. Authentic Christianity, the reality is this. All that live godly will suffer persecution. Well, man, that's comforting. That really gets me all excited. No, I'm not going to lie to you. That's That's just part of it. Now, we're fortunate here in America, we have a whole lot more privileges than we would if we were in China or if we were in Russia. Hello. And so we might think, well, you know, I'm not going through persecution, but there are Christians that are going through persecution. And the reality is, if you stand your ground for the Lord Jesus Christ, I know people, I know people in the media who have lost their job, big time media on Fox Sports Network who have lost their job because they had the right stand on marriage. Because they tweeted something about marriage that implied that they disagreed with homosexuality. And they lost their job. Hey, listen. We ought to have some clear-cut values as believers. Hello? And it ought to be based on the Scriptures. So, (coughs) the Lord Jesus goes on. He says, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty. You feel like you don't have a lot. But the Lord Jesus tells them you're rich. By the way, you realize when you have access to heaven, you're rich. As a child of God, the refrigerator is always open. The well of grace will never run dry. The Almighty God has everything you and I need for faith and practice on this earth and to enjoy life. The Bible tells us to rejoice evermore, rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. The Bible says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Hey, The Lord wants us to know, I got enough grace to fill your cup from here to eternity. We just need to draw from the well. But he says, you think you're poor, and maybe the world thinks you're poor, but you're rich because the door's wide open for you. Often those who are poor are poor in possessions, are rich in faith. And they learn their heavenly father, uh, David said, I've been young and I've been old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Hello. That's a promise from the Heavenly Father. If you're a parent, you know the responsibility of taking care of your children, right? And hopefully you have that desire, that burning desire to take care of them and meet their needs. 
Do you think your heavenly father has any less care of you, any less concern of you? Talk to me. Do you think your heavenly father loves you any less than you love your children? Oh, he loves us more. More. So, we're not even in the message yet, but we'll get there. We missed out on handshakes, so that gave me an extra five minutes. <coughs> okay, so, we read on in verse 9. He says, I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but of the synagogue of Satan. So let me remind you of this. Especially, we notice this as we read Galatians, we, as we read through the book of Acts, uh, as we read the Philippians, and even in uh, Colossians. We notice that often... They would be people who would infiltrate the church and present false doctrine. False doctrine. Many times it was Jews who did not receive Christ as their Savior. They're called Judaizers. And they would promote works salvation. How many, how many of you know you're not saved by your works? We're saved by His work. His work. If you believe you're saved by your work, then you, are, you think far, highly, far more highly of yourself than you ought to. Because we are all sinners. Sinners by birth and sinners by behavior. Every single one of us. That's why we needed grace. That's why we needed full... So that's why we needed him to pay the full price of our redemption. And praise the Lord, we're adopted into the family once we receive him as our Savior. So anyways, though... There were these uh, people who would infiltrate the church, and they'd be pretenders, and they'd, in, they'd propagate false teaching. And so they were in this church in Smyrna. And now when it uses the term Jew there, it's not using it in a derogatory way. In, in a derogatory way. Notice the reading again. Look closely. I know that verse 9. I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not. Did you catch that? The implication there is, if they really were, there wouldn't be a problem. <coughs> In Romans, the Bible tells us, those of us who have received Christ, we, we, are, we have the circumcision of heart. Okay? And we're Jews in that sense that we're God's people. All right? Now, God's not given up on the Jewish people. Oh, he has not given up on the Jewish people. Not at all. The reality is, at the end of the millennial reign, or the end of the tribulation period, they're going to come to Christ. As we go into the millennial reign. But anyways, uh, he goes on to say, they say they're Jews, but they're not. They're the synagogue of Satan. You've got some deceivers in there. And then he says, verse 10, fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. I want to pause and ask you this question. When we read that, I know I, I kind of broke it up. But, and I know for me, when I first read the passage, read the whole narrative there, you know what stood out to me? It wasn't fear none of those things. It was the idea of suffering and dying for the faith. Hello? I mean, it's like those words were more magnified than the words fear none of those things. It's as though when I read it, it's as though I suffer, tribulation 10 days, die for the faith. Whoa! It's like that was so big, it almost for, you almost didn't even notice fear none of those things. But I believe the Lord Jesus wants you and I to magnify the fear none of those things more than the suffering. Or he wouldn't have said it. Hello. And there's some reasons. There's some reasons. We'll come to that in a moment. But he says, fear none of those things which you shall suffer. I want to just kind of explain the passage here. He says, now if you're faithful unto death, you'll get a crown of life. You'll get a reward. 
Uh, it's also mentioned in James. There are rewards to those who suffer for the cause of Jesus Christ. Now, that's a big difference between suffering for our own wrong. Hello? I'm talking about suffering for the cause and for the faith of Jesus Christ. There are special rewards. Now, he goes on in verse 11. He says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be heard of the second death. Wow. Does that mean that you've got to go through all of that to overcome so that you don't die and go to hell? No, that's not what it said. He's giving encouragement to people who are going to go through suffering to remember, listen, you have no fear of the second death. Don't worry about that. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 and 5 tells us faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you hearing me, everybody? Okay, I'm just teaching now. We're just teaching now. It might break out into preach in a moment, but I want us to get into this. <coughs> so, I want to emphasize this statement here. Fear none of those things. The reality is, you and I, as modern-day Christians, uh, there are a lot of things that Christians fear today that aren't even this bad, but people fear. We worry about tomorrow. We worry about the economy. We worry about the election. We worry about these things. We worry about the state of our country. We worry about the state of our home. We worry about, there's a lot of things that overwhelm us, and God doesn't want us to be people of fear. I need to tell you this, dear child of God, you and I need to remember this. This is so important. It is not becoming of a child of God to be ruled by fear. It's not. Now, does it happen? It does happen now and then. Yes, we're emotional people. We can get hit off guard, okay? And we can tremble. We read in the Bible about Peter. We read in the Bible about other uh, uh, disciples even who experienced degrees of fear. But once again, what I find is every time the disciples uh, were experiencing fear and Jesus showed up, what did he say? Fear not. Fear not. You know why? Our Lord cares about you. He cares about your emotional well-being. He cares about whether or not you're living by fear or living by faith. He cares about that. And he, he not only cares, but he, he has equipped us and provided us what we need to encourage us, to bolster our faith. So... <clears throat> When the Lord Jesus said, fear none of those things, he didn't say, because you're not going to suffer. No, we might go in the fire. We might go through the trials. But the reality is, Jesus said, fear none of those things. There's got to be a reason. My human body is a fearful of suffering. It's fearful of pain. But the Lord Jesus said, fear none of those things. Why is that? I believe it's because he wants us to know, I have enough grace to equip you to compensate for all the suffering. I got enough grace for you that you're going to feel like when you're going through it, it's no problem at all. The Apostle Paul had to deal with a thorn in the flesh. He couldn't get rid of it. He prayed three times and God said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. Remember old uh, Peter? In Acts chapter 12, Peter uh, and his uh, pal James had been sentenced to death. They had taken James out, executed him in front of the public, and they were going to execute Peter the next day. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 12 
that the church was suffering persecution. They had Peter in the confines of the prison there. And they were going to kill him. But Peter was sleeping. He was sleeping. Somehow, some way, he'd received enough grace to sleep through the night. He didn't know. He didn't know he was going to be released until the angel came to the door. And even when the angel came to the door, he thought he was dreaming. And when the angel came to the door and said, no, you're not dreaming. You need to get up. Everybody else is going to stay asleep. I'm going to loosen the shackles. and we're going to... It's not time for you, Peter. So he wiped the sleep out of his eyes. He followed the angel out. He went to a house. The gal who answered, her name was Rhoda. Rhoda. And Rhoda, they'd been praying without ceasing for Peter. And when Peter showed up at the door, she thought she saw a ghost. And she shut the door in his face. It's a great story. They finally let her in. Let him in. But he was able to sleep. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember those boys? Oh, you got to love them. I mean, consider them. They're supposed to bow down to a golden image. If they don't bow down to a golden image, they're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. They're going to be burned alive. And when they're thrown into that, well, before they're thrown into that fiery furnace, remember what they said. It's so important that we get what they said. Dear king, and they were very respectful, by the way. They were not disrespectful. They were, were respectful. They said, dear king. They said, uh, we can't bow down to this. And if you throw us in that fiery furnace, our God is able to deliver us from this fire. But if not, now that's huge, that's right there. But if not, we'll suffer. But if not, we'll endure it. But if not, they said, we're still not going to bow down. They didn't know, they didn't know Jesus was going to show up in the fire, ladies and gentlemen. But you know what they chose to do? They chose to endure suffering for righteousness sake. And guess who showed up? The same one who shows up every time when you're going through the fire for his sake. Every time you're going through the fire, whether it's in the hospital bed, where you're dealing with a crisis at home, I'm here to tell you, if you're walking with God, he'll show up. He'll give you grace. When Jesus said, fear none of those things that you shall suffer, it's because he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I have grace sufficient for you. I have something the world can't give you. And I've already conquered death in the grave. And if I, if I choose to let you experience this, and it brings you to the other side, you're going to be thankful anyways, and you're going to leave a witness that shines brightly for those that were left behind. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, during the persecution of the church, of the early church, it grew more under persecution than it grew any other time in the history of the church. That's the truth. Because that's the divider, that's the distinguishing factor between authentic Christianity and artificial. <clears throat> Once again, if you were to look at verse 9, he says, hey, I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but of the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. What's going to happen here? Oh, the wheat and the tares are going to be divided. The sheep and the goat are going to be divided. The dross is going to be removed from the silver, ladies and gentlemen. The real Christians will arise, and I'm here to tell you, it's going to bring the power of God upon all that takes place in their ministries. Souls are going to be saved. Lives are going to be changed. And eventually, eventually, even Rome would say, if you can't beat them, join them. Now, that was a big mistake for the church, and we'll touch on that later on. 
<coughs> now, I do have a message here. Also, I, want to, I didn't mention old Stephen. Remember Stephen, Acts chapter 7. He's preaching up a storm. He's surrounded by the Sanhedrin. I mean, the religious crowd of the days who, who opposed Jesus and helped uh, cried crucify him. Uh, that crowd has Stephen surrounded. And the Bible tells us Stephen is filled with the Holy Ghost. And what does a person do when they're filled with the Holy Ghost? They can't help but to talk about Jesus. And he begins preaching Jesus. And the people gave him a dirty look. And he kept on preaching Jesus. And I'm sure some of the people spit on the ground. He kept preaching Jesus. And then all of a sudden, people picked up rocks. They took their coats off, the Bible says, and they laid them at a young man's feet by the name of Saul. We know him as Paul. He got saved later on. He was there, though. Apostle Paul was there to witness this. And so they began to pick up rocks. And while Stephen kept on preaching the word, he felt a rock hit him in the head. And then he felt a rock hit him in the arm. And then he felt a rock hit him in the back. And eventually he collapsed. But we never hear one time, we never hear one time, Stephen saying, ow, that hurts. Oh, my mercy. I shouldn't have got myself involved in this. Now, at one time, you know what he says? He says, I see Jesus. And he's standing. He's not sitting. Now, that's significant because the Bible says when he finished his work, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. But now, listen, I'm telling you, the suffering saint always gets the pleasure of Jesus. I said the suffering saint always gets the attention of Jesus. And when Jesus watched Stephen endure the suffering, he stood up. And Stephen looked up and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Lord, lay not this unto their charge. They're just mortal. Oh, may they get saved. And the day would come when there would be a young man that got saved as a result of that. And we know him as the Apostle Paul. Stephen would go on to glory. What did God do for Stephen? He gave him all the grace he needed to endure the suffering. All the grace he needed, ladies and gentlemen. We can, I can't promise you that you won't endure suffering. I can't promise you you won't go through trials. Uh, in Job, the Bible says, all, all that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Boy, that's encouraging. Wow, that really motivates me. I'm here to tell you that's a reality. But the good news is you and I as Christians have Jesus in the boat. He's with us. I might start preaching here in a moment. <coughs> Let me catch my breath. Fear none of those things, says Jesus. Fear none of those things. The effect fear has on the Christian. It dims the light of Christ in our lives. It keeps us from our potential. In Matthew 25, 25 we read the story, we read the story of <coughs> a wealthy man who gives three different men a certain amount of money. And he leaves and he says, and the Bible says he gives them according to their ability. He gives one man ten, one man five, and one man one talent. He said, I'm going to be back. Can't give you the exact time, but I'm going to be back. And I hope you've done something with what I've given you. And so he leaves and when he returns, he discovers a man that had ten. He doubled what he had and he got ten. Or he got, 20, he got 10 more shekels. And, and the other guy who had five, he, he, he got five more shekels. But the guy who had one, the Bible says this about him, as he had to give an account. He said, you know, I was afraid. I was afraid, so I went and hid my talent. I went and hid it. Because I was afraid. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you, fear, fear will bury your potential for God. It'll bury your potential for God. Hey, those 
12 spies that went into Canaan land? Ten were bad, two were good. Only two got a chance to enjoy the blessing of Canaan land. Who were they, by the way? You remember who they were? Joshua and Caleb, you passed the test, that's right. The other ten, we don't even remember who they were. We just know they didn't make it into the promised land. Did God want them to enjoy the promised land? Did God have that as their possession? Yes, He did. But fear, fear, fear kept them out of the promised land. When they looked and they saw giants, <coughs> to them, the giants made them feel like grasshoppers. But to Joshua and Caleb, God made, God made the giants appear like grasshoppers. And so only Joshua and Caleb would get to enter the, enter the promised land. You know, fear is contagious too. You ever get around a coward Christian, I'm telling you, it's contagious. It's interesting, if you read through the book of Numbers and you get the laws about going to war. God told His people, He said, when there's a call to war, if anybody's fearful, tell them to go home. Tell them to go home. I don't want anybody that's fearful. Why does He do that? Because fear is contagious. And that's the last thing you need is someone who's fearful when you're going to battle. Give me somebody with some courage. Give me somebody with some confidence in their Lord. Give me somebody who's ready to lay it all out, understanding the, the worst that can get for me is here because the best is yet to come. That understands that death to the believer is nothing more than a door to paradise. Remember that thief on the cross? Oh, he couldn't do a whole lot for Jesus. All he could do was testify. All he could do was profess. All he could do was say, Lord, remember me. That's all he could do, ladies and gentlemen. But how many people have been encouraged by those words? And it would be just a few moments, just a few moments, and he would take his last breath, and the Lord would say to him before he took his last breath, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Death to the child of God is nothing more than unlocking the door to paradise, ladies and gentlemen. Paradise. <coughs> Fear becomes a snare. Proverbs 29, 25 tells us that the fear of man bringeth a snare. Ladies and gentlemen, I can testify. I was saved as a teenager, as a teenager. But I remember, I remember as a teenager going to school. I went to a public school. Yes, sir. And I tell you, I remember I took my little light and I hid it under a bushel. I was afraid of rejection. Oh, I know none of you have ever experienced that. God bless you. I'm just telling you, I remember this season in my life where I allowed fear to rule me. And as a result, I made some very poor decisions. Some decisions I made just to fit in with the crowd. I know you'd never do anything like that. God bless you. But I'm just telling you, fear, fear is a snare. The fear of man is a snare. How many of you know what I'm talking about? <coughs> you know you're ruled by fear. When you would rather compromise your values than lose your job. You know you're ruled by fear when you'd rather compromise your integrity than lose your popularity. You know you're ruled by fear when you're more concerned about rejection than you are sharing the gospel. You're more ruled by fear when you're not comfortable behaving like a Christian in a place that is ungodly. You know you're ruled by fear when your Christianity remains private in public. Just a few things to think about. <clears throat> the Lord says, fear none of those things. 
which thou shalt suffer. Because he knows. He's been there. He's experienced it. There's nothing you've suffered that he hasn't felt. He's felt it all. He's felt betrayal. He's been lied about. He's been beaten, scourged. Not only that, he's felt the absence of his father. Hello. We're talking about the absence of the presence of God. The Lord Jesus knew what it felt like. You say, where do you get that from? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Do you remember those words from the cross? Those were the Lord Jesus' words. He knew what it felt to feel abandoned by God. And sometimes you feel abandoned by God. And it's, it's not God that has abandoned you. It's just your feelings. It's just your feelings. Because feelings are deceiving. Feelings come and feelings go and feelings are deceiving. deceiving. But the Bible is the Word of God and it is worth believing. We need to remember that, ladies and gentlemen. <coughs> he says, fear none of those things. And if he says that we have nothing to fear, we shouldn't worry about it before it's happened anyways. He wants us to live above our worries and not below them. He offers a reward to those who endure faithfully, as I mentioned. And he knows that suffering, suffering removes, removes the dross from our Christian lives. How many of you came back to God because of suffering? How many of you got, you, you, you let the fiery trial purify you? I remember when I was a teenager or when I was in Bible college going through some difficult times, uh, a fellow student, good Christian man, encouraged me. He says, Brother Merv, he said, don't let the fire consume you. Let it purify you. Man, I love that statement. I wrote that baby down and I kept it. And I've never forgot it. Don't let the fire consume you. Let it purify you. Job said, when he has tried me, I shall come forth as, do you remember? Gold. Gold. <coughs> Jesus, if, he, if we go through suffering, he, he's allowing it. He's allowing it not, not to hurt us. Oh, no. But he'll reveal himself to you. I'll guarantee you, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were glad they went through it afterward. Oh, what a delight they had, what joy they had, knowing that Jesus was with them all the time. Now, let me give you this lesson here. Uh, <clears throat> so, you know, I had an outline. I should have given it to you. The effect fear has on a Christian, the encouragement of the Lord in the face of fear, and then the edifying of courage in our Christian lives. How do you build up courage in your life? Does that interest you? If that interests you, we'll go on. I'm going to go on anyways. Okay? <laughs> How to build up courage in your Christian life. Well, I want to say this. Exercise your faith when there is nothing to fear. Number one. <clears throat> Exercise your faith when there is nothing to fear. I'm talking about building up courage in your Christian life. What do you mean? I mean when there is no peer pressure about not reading the Bible. I mean when there is no peer pressure about not praying. I mean when you can come to church and it's still legal. Hello? You come to church and it's still legal. I mean when you're, you can invite people to Jesus and you can hand out gospel tracts and share your faith while it's still legal. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, listen, I'm telling you, you want to build up your faith, you want to develop courage, well, exercise your faith when there is nothing to fear. When there is nothing to fear. Tithe when there is nothing to fear. Serve when there is nothing to fear. Give when there is nothing to fear. Listen, if you'll do that when there is nothing to fear, you're going to have some, you're building some roots. You're building some uh, 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 strength, some durability when fear does come. I like what the Bible said about old Daniel. Remember old Daniel? I mean, he was the wisest man in the, in the realm of Persia. And old Darius becomes king. Daniel, he outlived Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar's son and grandson. 
<coughs> he would outlive the kingdom of Babylon. But now Persia has come in, and Daniel's an old man. And what do they do? Daniel gets promoted. He gets promoted. I mean, he's like, he's like number two in the kingdom, you know. And, you know, when you're number two in the kingdom, uh, walking with God, you have a lot of perks, a lot of privileges. He had nothing to fear about opening his window toward Jerusalem three times a day and bowing down and praying. He had nothing to fear, did he, ladies and gentlemen? He had nothing to fear. But you know what happened? The day came, a bunch of envious uh, princes got upset with him because that's what envy will do. And they got malicious and they lied to the king and they deceived the king. And a law was passed that nobody could pray to any god except for the king for 30 days. You see, they couldn't find fault in Daniel. But they knew that Daniel had a practice of prayer. And so the king, he, he let his pride get the best of him. He said, that sounds like a good law. You're magnifying me. And so the king passes that law. And the law, the Medes and Persians, was put in effect. He couldn't reverse it. Well, the day came when those princes came into Daniel's house. And the Bible tells us that Daniel, in chapter 6, verse 10 of Daniel, he opened his window toward Jerusalem, and he bowed down, and he prayed and worshiped God as he did aforetime. Are you hearing me? As he did aforetime. You say, what you talking about, Willis? Well, I'll tell you what I'm talking about. <clears throat> He exercised his faith when there was nothing to fear. And now that danger has arisen, it's been his practice. It's been his policy. It's been his exercise. He's not changing. God gives him the fortitude he needs. And so they say, well, we got him now. We got him now. And they go tell the king, we found Daniel. Petitioning another God, O king. And the king says, oh, no, what did I do? I can't change the law. You guys deceive me. <clears throat> and they throw him in the den of lions. Isn't it a wonderful story? You've heard it before, but it's so fun to tell it again. They throw him in the den of lions. Oh, and they were hungry. They made sure those lions were hungry. They wouldn't feed those lions. Boy, them lions would be pretty emaciated. And so it didn't matter. Human flesh goes down there. They're going to tear him up. And they dropped Daniel down into that den, and they put the lid on it, put a big old stone on that den. And I could hear the lions roar, and I could hear them growl, and all of a sudden it got quiet. And all night long, the king is feeling the guilt of his decision, and he can't sleep, he can't rest. He gets up real early in the morning. He says, remove that stone. And he says, oh, Daniel, oh, Daniel. And the, the lion's den is quiet. Well, is your God who you serve day and night Day and night, able to preserve you? Daniel says, He is, O king. My God sent an angel and he shut the lion's mouth. Probably did some dental work on the fellas. <laughs> and they brought him up out of that den. And those fellas that had ruled by envy, they were tossed in. But what am I telling you there? Daniel didn't know for sure he'd be delivered. Oh, no. But he exercised his faith and he was willing to endure. God gave him grace and he made it through it all. And God will be with you no matter what suffering you go through. Exercise your faith when there's nothing to fear. Something else is very vital and it's kind of tied in together. We got to exercise a righteous life. Practice having a good conscience. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 24 verse 16, he said this. And he, by the way, it's important that you understand the context. Paul's got shackles on him. His, 
His wrists and feet are bound. He stands before King Agrippa. His accusers are around him. He's surrounded by men who hate him. They want to see him put to death. And they're looking at him, hissing at him. Agrippa gives him an opportunity to speak. And Paul would say to King Agrippa, And herein have I exercised myself. To have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Oh, there's the reason Paul could stand with boldness before Agrippa and before his accusers. There's the reason he could stand with assurance, with courage. Why? He exercised a righteous life. Friend, keep your con- best pillow at night is a good conscience. Hey, I'm not saying you're, you're, you'll never mess up, but keep short accounts with God. Short accounts with God. Get it right. Get right with your brother. Get right with your sister. Get right with your neighbors. I mean, get it right quickly. Keep your heart clean before God and those around you. And I'm here to tell you, that'll build your faith. The Bible says in Proverbs 28:1, the righteous stand bold as a lion. I'm getting more out of this message than I wrote down. <coughs> the righteous stand bold as a lion, but the wicked flee at any reproof. I can testify again. I'm, I'm as coward as they come if I know i got sin in my life. Preacher, you got, you, you've had sin in your life? Yeah, unfortunately, it, it props up now and now. i got to deal with that stuff. Am I the only one? And so what do you do, man? Man, i I got, I got to get it right with God. I've learned this, too. If I haven't been out witnessing in a while, that first day back, I'm always a little nervous. I mean, if I hadn't been out sharing the gospel, knocking on doors, telling people about Jesus for a long time, that first day back, hope nobody's home. But I want to tell you something. I've learned this. I've learned this by experience, and I see it in the Bible. The exercise of obedience builds courage. Because after I've been out for a while, after I've been out for a while, I start feeling that courage again. <coughs> Acts 5 verse 32 says this, And we are His witnesses, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey Him. Now, by the way, that's not talking about the indwelling. That's talking about the power. The power. The moment you receive Christ as your Savior, the Spirit of God came in you to dwell. If you want to experience the power of God, you obey the Lord. Trust and obey. There's no other way. We're almost done. Almost done. Don't worry. The roast won't burn. Crockpot's all right. Exercise your faith during the little trials. Can I have you turn to another scripture? We're almost done. I'm telling you, I'm so wound up right now, I can't help myself. Jeremiah. I need you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 12. Jeremiah chapter 12. Man, we're we're at the finish line. I can see see the checker flag. Maybe that trumpet will sound. Jeremiah chapter 12. Jeremiah chapter 12. Come on, Jeremiah. He's after Isaiah, if you're looking. (coughs) If you have a Schofield Bible, it's on page 785. 785 in your Schofield Bible. Jeremiah chapter 12. Okay. God is speaking to Jeremiah. I want you to see this passage. I love this passage. See, Jeremiah's gotten a little nervous. He's a little scared. 
And God says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, this is the early stage of his ministry, and Jeremiah's had to withstand some pressure from the brethren, from the brethren. And sometimes the brethren can be the most difficult, you, you know. And so Jeremiah's, see, he's trying to preach to the brethren. And God says in verse 5, If thou hast run with the footmen, and they have wearied thee, how canst thou contend with horses? And if in the land of peace, wherein thou trusted, they wearied thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan? You say, what, what's God saying there? He's saying, Jeremiah, if you can't play with the JV, you'll never make the varsity. If you can't, if you can't work where you're at, don't expect advancement. If you can't deal with the fears now that are in your life, you certainly won't be able to deal with the fears later in your life. He says, you need to learn to exercise faith in me now, Jeremiah. Everything's a test, Jeremiah. I'm growing you and I'm using you. And I'm more concerned about your spiritual well-being than you are, Jeremiah. And the people around you need you to be more godly than what you think you need to be. <clears throat> Jeremiah, I've got everything out of control if you just trust me. But Jeremiah, listen, you're bailing out. You're getting scared in front of these guys, and they're not going to hurt you. But the day's going to come, Babylon's coming in here. And they've they butchered people. And they're going to annihilate this city. And you're going to have to stand in front of them. If you can't stand amongst them, the guys now, you won't make it with these guys later. And I'm just telling you right now, how do you build courage? Well, you build courage by exercising righteousness. You build courage by exercising your faith when there is no fear. But you also build courage by being faithful during the little trials. The little trials. So that when the big trials come, you'll be ready for it. You'll be ready for it. I got one more point. This is it. One more point. Fellowship with courageous Christians builds faith. Proverbs 13, 20 says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. David is a young man. He steps out, looking out at the valley of Elah. Goliath comes out. And he intimidates the whole Israeli army. He challenges them, give me a, give me a soldier to fight me. <clears throat> and they all talk amongst themselves, and they, but they don't talk themselves into it. And David, he's just there as a young man to bring supplies to his brothers and to tell, bring a report back to his father. But as he listens to the blasphemy of Goliath, he tells, spreads the word. He says, why doesn't somebody go down and fight that guy? Why doesn't somebody go down and kill that guy? And David volunteers. He's just a teenager. But let me tell you something. Why did David have courage? Well, he'd already killed a lion and a bear. He already acknowledged God's hand in the little battles. He figured if God could do it there, he can do it again. And so David goes down and he makes short business of Goliath. Everybody rallies. The war is over. The battle's over quickly. As the years progress, we come to 2 Samuel chapter 22. As the years progress, David is an old man. And the Bible tells us the day came when they went to battle against the Philistines and they were the sons of the giant, 
that were there. There were five different giants. As a matter of fact, one of them went specifically after David, and the Bible says David was weak. He was faint. And David's nephew, Abishai, stepped in between him and the giant, and he smote the giant. And the Bible goes on and describes the other four giants that were slaughtered by the men of David. And in that chapter, we read about the death of five giants. Now, what gave them confidence? What gave them courage? You see, you hang around a giant killer, you might become one yourself. They spent their life following a giant killer. Can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, there is no greater giant killer than the Lord Jesus Christ. He's already conquered death in the grave. You stay close to him, you will find your giants very small. But in a human sense, in a human sense, I am here to tell you, there have been people in my life, I get around them and I feel like I can squirt hell with a, fight hell with a squirt gun. They just get me so charged up. It's, I remember going to Bible college, running into a, a man named Ricky Gonzalez. And Ricky took me downtown Chicago and said, Brother Murph, we're going to do some soul winning. He walked up to some gang bangers, is what they called them. I said, what on earth? I'm a little country kid from northern Michigan, and here I am downtown Chicago with gang bangers. I mean, they got open weapons on them, and they got the tattoo. They got the whole look there, and they're ready for destruction. He walks right in the crowd and begins to witness to them. He starts speaking Spanish. He's speaking in tongues. But he could do it. He could interpret The next thing I knew, all of them were bowing their head, repeating, I trust you, Jesus. Now, they said it in Spanish. I had to ask them afterward. I hung around with that guy, and I found myself so bold, so bold. I'm just telling you, find people who are courageous for Christ and hang with them. It'll do something for you. Father, we love you. Bless the service. Thank you for the word of God. May you minister to our hearts. May you bless our invitation. <coughs> With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask you this very important question. Now, by the way, today is the day that we need courageous Christians. This is no time to backpedal, backtrack. This is no time to let our light hide under a bushel. We've got to let it shine. Maybe the Lord spoke to your heart. As we sing this song of invitation, if you, feel one, you want to use the altar, I hope you will. Do business with God. But I need to ask this question. Maybe there's somebody here this morning who'd say, Preacher, I don't even know that I'll go to heaven when I die. I don't want to die and go to hell, but I am not sure that I'll go to heaven. If that's you, if you lift your hand up so I can see it, I'll pray for you. Is there anybody like that that would say, Preacher, that's me? I don't want to go to hell, but I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. Pray for me. Would you lift your hand so I can see it? Is there anybody like that as I look around? Anybody? Lord Jesus, we love you. We are thankful for your faithfulness and your word and the courage you give us. Bless our invitation now. We ask this in your name. Amen. Brother Brian, come on up here. Let's all stand and sing.